Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Are you in need of confidence boost in your real estate journey? And remember, behind every success story is a failure and getting up again. Draw inspiration from these real estate success stories that we've heard on the show. Our guest is Brian Chavis. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. Man, thanks for having me, Whitney. Brian is a brain tumor survivor. He says, not a survivor, but a thriver. A thriver. Amen. Amen. That's right. Brian, thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to this. Give the listeners a little more about who you are, what you're up to in the syndication game, and let's dive in. Yeah, a little bit about who I am. I think you touched all the key topics. I mean, I would only, you know, add that I'm just, you know, I'm an average guy, average high school student, barely graduated. So when people mention these accolades, I like to always let people know it started from humble beginnings and a lot of hard work. So getting into the U.S. Library of Congress and having these businesses and successful brands, it's possible for anybody to do. I mean, obviously, my school teachers back home will probably definitely second that. But yeah, just an average joke. Just an average joke, man. So what is your focus in the industry right now? What type of buildings are you buying or are you focusing more on coaching? What are you working on mostly right now? Yeah, I mean, I love the coaching. I focus on it because I feel like education and training is a calling of mine. However, there's two parts of who I am. There's Chavis Capital, and then there's Brian Chavis Coaching and Consulting. The Brian Chavis Coaching and Consulting always is out there providing education and training and consulting to housing authorities and other REITs and private equity firms and just your average investor. So always look to bring the best in education and make that available to everyone. And then Chavis Capital... My focus there is definitely multifamily. That's what I know. It's kind of it's what I do. It's all I've ever done. So yeah, definitely aggressive. Our latest acquisition in downtown St. Pete last year, focusing on that and just focusing on finding more opportunities out in the marketplace. So, you know, putting deals under contract, you know, a race to 5,000 doors is the goal right now. Nice. Nice. I love that goal of 5,000. Yes, and so let's dive into that deal a little bit, the deal in St. Pete. Could you elaborate? Tell us a little about that. Yeah, it's a deal I'm really excited about. A partner, Mark Willis, you know, the former CEO of Keller Williams, who retired. We went in and knocked that project down. But it was a project that was off market. And I was able to get it through techniques that I use, whether that be direct mail pieces. And of course, or just getting out there and, and building yourself a brand social media, someone reached out to me about this project and I felt like it still was undervalued. Most people thought it was price right. You know, everything down there is trading right at the high fours and mid five caps. And I think most now are trending towards the high fours right now. And most people thought I paid cash for it and probably thought I probably paid market, but I felt there was a lot of meat on the bone. And I think a lot of people make a lot of mistakes because they look at buildings and look at pricing, but they really don't understand prospect tenants, demographics, and psychographics. And because I study not necessarily buildings, but I study my prospect tenants demographics, which really, you know, the demographics and demographics tell you who the tenant is. Psychographics tell you their why. And so when I understand the who and the why, I'm able to kind of really create a rent schedule. People call it performance, but I'm able to build a pro form. I'm able to build and have an idea of who a prospect tenant is. And then I can see 
what type of improvements I can do to the building and how far I can take those improvements. Every improvement I do has a dollar amount associated with it. So I knew exactly where I felt like I could push these rents, understanding who my prospect tenants demographics were. I felt like I really knew where I could take these rents and that they were really undervalued. And so I got into that market. I was one of the, I think I was the only one to really push the rents past the $900 mark there. And then now we're well above the $900 mark. We're in the 975, 985 with some select units and a little over a thousand with the amenities like the parking. So some units I'm getting $1,100 for. So I like to say either I was crazy or I was crazy like a fox. I let others kind of figure that out. But, you know, I think for me, I take the guesswork out of it by understanding that I'm not buying buildings. Buildings have never paid me rent. People pay me rent. So at the end of the day, my main focus is always on that prospect tenants, their demographics and their psychographics. So really understanding that, then I can kind of find a product in the marketplace that fits those needs. And then obviously through the management of the property from the operational standpoint, being able to put in the right type of systems that it all comes together. I want to change gears a little bit. I know before we started recording, we were talking about the coaching and talking about how different industries you have to have a certification. And as far as for a syndicator, I'd never heard of a, like a certification course for a syndicator. Right. Yeah. So I wanted you to elaborate on that a little bit and like, why is that beneficial and what does that do for us? And there's a ton of things. So when I first, of course, got back into the space after 2012 being sick for five years, I kind of come back into the space and now it's just like everyone's talking apartment. I, you can go back well before, you know, I was, of course, with my books, 2009, I was signed with Simon Schuster. I've been talking about this for a long time. I've been doing this for a very long time before it became really popular. Boot camps and it seems like there's a boot camp every week or an investor summit every week about multifamily. It wasn't like that when I first got out. When I stepped back in, I noticed that, you know, and this is great for our industry. We love growth. However, the problem with growth is, is if we don't hit the pause button, we're going to say, hey, we're creating all these syndicators, but are we really creating educated syndicators? We're talking about raising money, other people's money, other people's livelihoods. What credentials do you have? What experience do you have? And I know and understand that not everybody's going to come from the industry like me and have this experience. So how do I create a program or a certification that's going to give these individuals the experience that they need? And the confidence that they need that at the end of the day, if all hell breaks loose, I know I can run the property. I have tons of YouTube videos of me actually having to let the entire staff go and run a 130-unit apartment building for a hedge fund by myself. Figured out the staff was stealing. They were incompetent. So, you know, my father taught me long ago I can do bad all by myself. I let the staff go and ran the 133 units for a couple of days until I staffed it by myself. But the idea is that if, as a syndicator, if you can't do that and you don't have that confidence, really should you be raising people's money? So am I raising money from individuals outside of friends and family? Friends and family is probably the worst because they know where you live. So, you know, should you be raising money, period, is the question. And so I just felt like there was a need to really give people training and education. I felt like I wanted to do it at a price point that made sense where they didn't have to go to school and learn how to become an underwriter and learn to take all these finance courses and spend money, tons of money and years that they probably don't have. I just wanted to create a certification where individuals could put on their resume. Lenders could look at it and say, okay, well, I see you've got some kind of training and education and, you know, and notice that these individuals have been certified and keep up with their education and their training on a continuous basis. So seen a need and I decided to fill the need. And really for myself as well. It always starts with myself and what I'm going to do for my team. And then of course it just takes off to 
how can we offer that certification to others? That's awesome. And a few more questions. What's been the hardest part of the syndication journey for you? Man, I mean, after conquering a brain tumor, brother, it's kind of tough to say that anything business-wise or business-related is tough for me. So I just think with discipline and the right amount, the right approach to anything, I'm cautious to say that the industry has been tough. It's been an industry that has lent itself to giving me a lifestyle. And I hope I'm not dodging a question. I no. just really feel like I'm grateful. Even if I have a bad day, I'm not raising money. We're not finding deals. I mean, is it worse than my worst day? Is it worse than that day when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor? Is it worse than dealing with chemo? Is it worse than having seizures? No. I appreciate that outlook. I really do. Your worst day is not near as bad as somebody else's worst day. Is it? <laughs> There's Amen. always somebody that's got it worse. And, and so what is your best advice for taking care of investors? Wow, really just mastering your craft. Taking care of their money is the number one principle. Educating yourself and training yourself. And just always, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's the number one thing. That's the principal thing is making sure that we as syndicators are well-versed and that we're iron sharpens iron, that we're all helping each other out and we're all seeking out the best training and education possible that's available to us and, and just making sure that you're just keeping sharp in the industry. Our guest is Nick Prefontaine. Thanks for being on the show, Nick. Thanks for having me, Whitney. I'm excited to be here with you and your listeners. Nick, I know you have a remarkable story, something that's significant that happened to you when you were much younger and just how that got you into real estate. And I'm looking forward to hearing that story. I know the listeners are going to learn a lot and be encouraged as well. And so why don't we just jump right in and you just get us started way back. Sure. Going way back. I always like sharing the, the story of my snowboarding accident because I feel it can help so many people out there that are going through something similar, whether it's a health challenge or struggling in their day-to-day business. So Going back to when I was in eighth grade, when I was 14, I was with my school, with my ski club. And every Wednesday, we would have ski club. So usually, there was a small hill that I used to go to every day. And when I say every day, definitely every day. At one point, I had gone there from when they opened all the way through Christmas, even including Christmas. But Whenever I went there, I wouldn't wear a helmet because it was small. It was manageable. I knew the terrain. However, when I went to ski club, it was always at a bigger mountain. So I wasn't quite as used to it. So I would always bring my helmet. On this particular day, I had forgot my helmet. I really didn't think it was a big deal. In fact, getting ready because we always, my friends and I would bring our stuff on the bus to get ready. So in getting ready, I realized that I had forgot one thing, my helmet, that I do usually, I'm not going to say to you that I'm a saint or anything, but I usually made an effort to bring it whenever I went to go mountain because it was a little bigger. Just thought I would be safe. I'd be careful. Nothing ever happened. You know, I'd be fine. So we got to the mountain and because we were ready, we strapped in right away and headed straight for the top. On the way to the top, we noticed that it was very icy, Whitney, because it had been raining. People were wiping out everywhere. However, needless to say, we got to the top and it wasn't my friends and I wasn't our first time on a snowboard. And they were all talking about how whoever hit that jump in the train park would be crazy. It's a huge jump in the conditions and everything. And of course, 
like anything, and I still take anything like that, not necessarily a slight, but I use anything to my advantage like that. I took it as a challenge, of course. So I headed straight for the biggest jump with all my speed. And going out to the jump, I caught the edge of my snowboard, and that kind of threw me off balance. Now, I was going way too fast, and I was way too close to the top to stop, so I was forced to go off the jump. So in the air, I was off balance, and I landed right on my head. So I was later told that I landed on my head, and I wasn't wearing a helmet. I had to be rushed to the hospital, to the ICU. When I got to the ICU, the doctors told my parents that I probably wouldn't walk, talk, or eat on my own ever again. After I was stabilized there, because it did take a little bit of time, I was in a coma for three weeks. So it did take a little bit of time, even after I came out of the coma, to be at a point where I was stable enough. But just going, even when I was in the coma, I came out of the coma. And I've even seen videos, Whitney, of myself with my eyes open and looking around and everything. I don't remember any of that because I was in a partially induced coma because they had to induce me because the swelling in my brain was such that if I woke up and I panicked, what happened? What's going on? I would increase the swelling in my brain and I would die. So there were definitely a few lucky breaks for me at that point that I definitely point back to. But once I was stabilized, about a month after my accident, I was stabilized at the ICU intensive care unit at UMass Memorial Hospital in Worcester. I was transported to Franciscan Children's Hospital in Boston. That's where I had to regain learning, getting all my muscle back because I lost a lot of weight. When I was in the coma, I went from 160 pounds all the way down to 137. And if you can imagine that for a 14-year-old to lose that much weight, I had lost everything. I see videos of myself at the hospital, and it's like I was a ghost because obviously I wasn't getting any sun. (laughs) So I was definitely like a ghost. It was like all the color and all the weight and everything had just come off of me. But when I was transported to Franciscan, that's where I had to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again. And I remember very early on in my recovery, having to learn how to walk, learn how to talk, and they just would constantly be feeding me. So I would gain my weight back. That was a big point, especially early on in my recovery. But I remember learning how to walk again, just taking it one step at a time. And even to this day, Whitney, I say all the time with associates of ours, people that we're working with in the trenches to do deals, because like, what if this happens and then that happens and then I have to do this and I have to do that? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. don't worry about that. Just worry about one thing at a time that you can control. Very early on in my recovery, I still wasn't even walking yet. I was still in a wheelchair. And I remember sitting there in between therapies because what it would be was Every day I would get up and I would need help getting showered and getting ready and everything like that. But then once I was able to get ready and have breakfast, I would have physical, 
occupational and speech therapy. Then I would go back to the room to have lunch. And then in the afternoon, I would have another physical, occupational, and speech therapy. So double sessions. I remember on this one particular day, very early on in my recovery, I was still in a wheelchair, not a fully supported wheelchair, which I did start out with, but excuse me, just a regular wheelchair with no extra support. And I was sitting in my room after having lunch in between my therapies. And I just kind of looked down at my situation. I don't know what it was that made me like take a step back, but I was just kind of like having trouble figuring it all out. And I looked at my mom and I'm like, who is with me every day uh, during the day in my recovery? And I said, am I ever going to be able to walk again? And she did not hesitate. She goes, yeah, of course, of course you are. That's like, why do you think we're here at Franciscan? That's what you're doing. You're learning how to do everything again. And then you're going to be back to school with your friends and your life's going to be the same as it was before. So that sense of confidence and having that no hesitation was a big part of why I was able to recover so well. I'm thankful that you were healed and you know that you came out of that. And I just contribute so much that to your mindset. And I'm sure that through the real estate business that that's just paid, you know, dividends forward, just the mindset alone. So Nick, what about just taking that mindset? Is there any examples, say in real estate, how just growing a business and a brand and how that mindset's helped you to push forward to be successful in real estate like you all have? Uh, yeah, there is something I can point to. And that's Whenever a new investor that we're working with encounters a challenge or a setback or things aren't going as fast as they want them to, the thought is always in the back of their head that this isn't working. I'm going to try something else. That's probably the worst thing to do. You have to keep going. You have to keep taking that next step. And now I say that, Whitney, I always say to our associates and to people that we work with and to even buyers. Like, don't worry about all of that. Just focus on this. Like, all you have to focus on is the next step. And I've been saying that for years. I didn't realize the irony around that because I had to learn how to walk again. So when people like yourself just said that you're glad I made it and, you know, glad I'm here talking to you and everything, me too. (laughs) That's what I always say, me too. I'm glad I made it too. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 